0: don't know me, my name is Logan, and I am the assistant director out here. Uh, This morning, I have the privilege of bringing to you God's word. Uh, Before we do that, let's go ahead and pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the gift of uh, the life that you've given us to live. I pray that as we uh, continue our study through uh, mere Christianity, that you would help us to see what it is you created us for and what you designed us for. I pray that you'd stir up a longing and a desire in our hearts uh, to be more like what you created us to be, because that is where we thrive. I pray that you would help us to see this uh, this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been studying our way through uh, some ideas by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. Last week, Pastor Katie shared with us what it is that Christians believe. What is it that separates Christians from the rest of religions in the world? Today, we're going to look at how those beliefs make themselves evident in the Christian life. In the third section of his book, Mere Christianity, Lewis gives us a very vivid image of a fleet of ships He was a uh, World War I veteran, and as he's writing this essay, uh, it's in the middle of World War II. So people would have been very easily able to identify and think about a couple of aircraft carriers in the midst of uh, destroyers and battleships. When you have a fleet, you have multiple ships moving together. And there's a couple of things that he uses in this image. First of all, he points out that the ships have to know how to sail in relation to one another. If you don't know how to sail, if you don't know where the ships are next to you, there is a high chance that you are going to run into a neighboring ship. Bad things happen when thousand foot long ships run into each other. Bad things also happen when hundred foot long ships run into each other. It is not a good thing when you don't know how to sail in relationship The second thing that he points out is that the ships themselves, in order to remain properly in formation with each other, have to be individually maintained. You cannot have a ship that is with engines that are blown or with rudders that don't work, because even if you know how to sail next to another ship, if the ship is not properly maintained, you will not be able to steer the vessel you will run into something or someone. Both of these, however, matter only if the ships know where they are supposed to be going. Lewis makes the um, funny statement that if a ship is heading, or a fleet of ships is heading for New York, but finds itself in the UK, you would say they missed their purpose. I'm not sure how you would mistake the UK for the US, but I'm sure somebody probably could somewhere or the other. It's a small skip across a small pond, I guess. The ships have to navigate in relation to one of the other ships. The ships have to be healthy enough to uh, properly maintained in order to do so, and the ships have to function within their created purpose. Lewis uses these ideas in the, with analogy to the human life, to the human condition. Uh, Everyone, regardless of their beliefs, some way or another has the notion that people should behave in a certain way towards each other. Believe me, I love living in a society that says murder is wrong. I think we all could say that is a healthy boundary. I think we also say that being honest with each other creates those healthy relationships. We are able to uh, sail in line, as it were, if we can trust each other. Now Lewis says that the harmony we want between each other happens when each individual has a healthy self. Just like with the ships, if the ship is individually unhealthy, it will not be safe sailing next to other ships. Um, there is a common idea that goes around that sounds like it's okay if I do what I want as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. Um, I've heard it growing up, heard it in college, I guarantee I've probably said it once or twice in my own life. The issue is, Lewis says, that's not how life works. When we mask the problems that we are going on in our lives, when we say it's okay as long as, eventually that barrier breaks down And the thing that we use to steer our life breaks down, and we run the risk of either sailing off course or running into someone else and causing damage. And in fact, this is what Lewis argues the point of Christian behavior is, which is what this third section of the book is about. Christian behavior is not just about checking off a list of boxes, do this, do this, don't do this, and don't do It is about developing a certain quality of character that behaves a certain way. That internal quality of character lasts forever. But in order to identify what an individual life should look like, Lewis says we have to look at the purpose for which we were created. If someone created us, then they have the ultimate say in what that looks like. We learn from Scripture that there is a God who created us. Uh, If you were here two weeks ago, Pastor Katie unpacked what that looked like. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if God created us, then he also has in mind a certain kind of people he wants us to be. And today we're going to look at one of the great passages in Scripture that teaches us a little bit of what the Christian life looks like. This comes from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. Continue to uh, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The very first thing Paul tells us about the Christian life is that it loves unhypocritically. Let love be genuine. This is the anchor for the rest of the passage, and it's also the anchor for the Christian life. In other passages of Scripture, you can read where Paul talks about the kind of love we're supposed to have for one another. It's supposed to be patient, kind. It's not supposed to be arrogant or rude. And as we saw last week, it was because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus makes it even more ideal when he told his disciples by this one thing you all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is at the core of what it looks like to live the Christian life. But Paul qualifies what kind of love we have to have for one another. The original word that gets translated genuine here actually means unhypocritical. In ancient times, a hypocrite was originally an actor. They would step on stage for whatever they were commissioned to do, and when they were going to play one sort of of character, they would put on a mask, put on an accent, and talk in a certain kind of way. When they were needed to put on a different kind of character, they would remove the one mask, put on another mask, and talk in a certain kind of way. And still furthermore, When they took off the mask and walked off the stage when the production was done, they were still yet another kind of person. That is what originally meant to be a hypocrite. And it's very easy to see how that translates into the modern day. How it also got translated into a kind of um, insult more or less. When one person says a certain thing but does another, we can smell it a mile away. We say that person, what they put on, doesn't match what is underneath in their very being. Truthfully, there is a lot of hypocritical love in the world, and it tends to be very easy to spot. For example, in relationships, uh, whether it be with family or with friends, we have all had experiences where someone walked up to us and said, sorry, but their body language, their tone of voice, even though they apologized with their words, their body language and tone of voice said, I really am not sorry whatsoever. I'm just saying this as more of a formality than anything else. And if we're honest, we've also been that kind of person. We, ourselves, have had to apologize for something we said and did or promised to do and didn't do, but our hearts were not in that act of love. We just wanted to settle things and move on. That is what we could call a hypocritical kind of love. And that's just one of many examples, but that is a very common occurrence. We may do the right thing, but without the right attitude behind it, without the right motive behind it, it settles into nothing. It does nothing to produce the kind of character that the Christian life is about. If you've been reading along uh, with mere Christianity, then you may have read the chapter already where Lewis talks about uh, love. Love is not primarily an emotion, either in scripture or for Lewis. Love is not a feeling of like or interest in a person. This is what Lewis says it is. It is a state of the will that desires good for the people around us. It's really easy to uh, want what's good for ourselves. That's how we tend to operate because we need to do what's best for ourselves. It's best for ourselves when we eat food on a regular basis, because that's how we function in the world. We require energy, and we get energy by eating food. Um, In the same way, we're supposed to look to the people around us and say, I want what's best for you. Sometimes we do things we think will benefit us, but turn out to be uh, a little bit more painful in the end. And we say to ourselves, well, that's not what I was going for. Let's try this again and try something different we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and try again. For love to be unhypocritical, we have to share that same kind of mentality with the people around us. Becoming the right kind of person, not just checking off a list of boxes, means we have to desire good for the people around us, especially when they annoy us. That helps us develop the kind of character that Lewis is talking about. That helps us develop the kind of character that leads to the Christian life that enables us to live beside people well. The Christian life values what is good. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. I don't remember the last time I said abhor in the um, common English language, but it means to literally hold far away from yourself. In life there are things that are healthy for us and there are things that are unhealthy. There are behaviors and thoughts that enable us to live into the people uh, God created us to be and that also hinder us from becoming the people God wanted us to be. Paul tells us very clearly hold fast to these good things. The original word literally means to glue something together or to cement it together. If you've ever tried to glue something together and realized you glued the wrong thing, and you have to break that glue, typically in my own experience, I've broken the thing I didn't want to break before I broke the glue that I made or the cement that I made. We are supposed to hold dearly to these things that enable us to live well beside the people around us, and that enable us to live well with God. Paul also tells us that there are certain things that do not reflect the transformed life. There are things that hinder us from living how God uh, created us to live that makes it difficult to live with the people around us. God didn't create us to harbor resentment against each other. That does not allow us to live well with the people beside us. That is literally the equivalent of running 1,000-foot-long ships into each other and hoping one doesn't sink the other doesn't work when we live in that way. It is most clearly evident to see how this connects with unhypocritical love. If our love is to be whole, if it's to be consistent and not multifaceted, we have to let go of those things that hurt our souls. Looking back to the imagery of the ships, it makes us unhealthy inside, we can't steer where we're going, and we run into each other. On the other hand, as we move towards what is good, our souls find the health and strength from God that enables us to live well with other people. Okay. The Christian life also values others highly. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. If we want our love to be unhypocritical in our character, we have to value the people around us well. I hope we've all had experiences with the people around us at one point or another, where we have a deeply committed relationship, whether it's friendship, whether it's family, spouse, uh, you name it. There is a type of love that produces camaraderie, that produces strong friendships, and it has lasting and good results in our lives. That is what it means by brotherly affection. But we're also aware that if we've had siblings or family and we've had that deep relationship, there are also frictions that do happen. We do, regardless whether we want to or not, run into the proverbial ship. This kind of love has to have the kind of resilience that enables us to stick together as a part of that same fleet. That enables us to stick through the difficult times, even if it hurts. Brotherly affection means not giving up on someone when they're doing well. Unhypocritical love doesn't quit when things get difficult. In fact, the best way to show that kind of love is to outdo one another in showing honor. Literally, lead the way in showing honor to each other honor is one of those words that we don't use much either but it literally means to value somebody properly to value someone highly Um, if you have a certain uh, token or a certain um, piece of chinaware that you value deeply you put it somewhere safe my mom and my grandma they have certain dishes that are meant for regular use Those sit in one cabinet and those are easily accessible for everyone to grab. They have a certain set of silverware, a certain set of dishes, that are very fragile and very valuable to them because they were family heirlooms. Those don't tend to be used as normal dinner dishes. They set those as a higher value in their lives than the regular dishes. And that's what it means to value the people around us. We don't just treat each other in the same kind of way. We say, I value you. I value your thoughts. I value your feelings about this. I value what you think about this. And by the way, we have to be the ones to initiate that. We have to lead the way in showing honor to each other. We've all had standoffs where it's, if you forgive me, I'll forgive you. The Christian life says, be the kind of person who initiates that honor Be the kind of person who says, I am willing to forgive you first, even if it costs me deeply. When friction happens, if we value them above the problem, it allows us not to give up on those people. Paul also says that the Christian life is passionate toward God. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. If in the Christian life we are supposed to love people, it makes sense that we should love God as well. Scripture tells us that God created us to live in a right relationship with him, which is the best thing for our souls. Just as we have to live in right relationship with each other, as in the fleet, we live in our best lives when we are in the right relationship with god and the way we live god without hypocrisy is by serving him passionately serving god is not supposed to be a drag we don't come and say ah it's another time another day i gotta do this i gotta do that we all know those moments where we've asked somebody to do something and they give us that audible response about what they really think they might do what we ask them to do but we know they don't have a good attitude about it. Again, living the Christian life is about becoming the right kind of person, not just checking off a box of, I served God this week, I served God today in my life. Serving God requires a passion, a fervent spirit. And the best ways we can stir ourselves up to be stirred up in that kind of passion is to think about God's goodness towards us. The letter of Romans is all about how people are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we were still uh, spiteful towards God, when we were hostile towards God, God showed honor to us first, in that he sent Christ to reconcile us to himself. God showed honor to us first. God demonstrated just how far he was willing to go. As we think about the goodness of God towards us in our lives, that enables us to be passionate towards God, to think highly about God, and to serve him in the right kind of ways. We begin to serve God every day in our lives. Um, life isn't just about going through aimlessly. We have a partnership with God where he says, I created you for a specific purpose. I value you. You are important for my plan, and I want you to do this with me. We get to serve God through serving our families, through serving our friends, through serving whoever he puts in our path. But we also get to serve God in the church. If you have been serving um, in the church in one way or another, Thank you for your partnership. You make the church a better place every time you serve. There is some grace that God sends directly through you that he doesn't send through anyone else. There is a way we can partner with Christ by serving the church. The Christian life is also able to endure the difficult times. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. The reality of life reminds us that we are not immune from the difficulties of life. There is a rarely a month that goes by, probably even rarely a week that goes by, that uh, something doesn't happen that makes us wonder what's going on, and the Christian life doesn't Promise us a way around it, but it does provide a way for us to go through it. And here's how Paul says we endure the difficulties of life, the tribulations of life. We rejoice in hope. I know this might sound odd, uh, but it doesn't mean that we have a smile on our faces when something's going wrong. But stick with me for a moment. Joy is the quality of having well being in our soul. When we rejoice, it means that we are experiencing well-being in something. There are a lot of things that will promise to give us well-being in life, and there are some that can do it for a very short time, but they are finite. Paul says our hope is eternal. There is an eternal hope in the good news that God brings us to himself, that gives us a well-being that enables us to get through difficult life circumstances. We don't have to figure life out on our own. God walks through it with us. If you were here when we watched, uh, when we went through the Psalm 23 series, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There is a trust that God goes with us, in those difficult circumstances. And sometimes Paul says, we just have to patiently endure life's problems. Be patient in tribulation means to remain steadfast, to remain under the pressure, even if it doesn't resolve quickly. The reality is, there are some problems that will go away very quickly, and there are some things that are going to be a little bit more permanent. We have to learn to remain, to endure those lasting pressures. But again, we don't do it in our own strength. Hope gives us well-being in the midst of unresolved tension, and being constant in prayer connects us with God in such a way that we derive strength from God. We are encouraged by the presence of God. And by the way, we help each other through those difficult times as well. Paul says the Christian life leads to a lifestyle of generosity. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If you've been here for a while, you've probably heard someone say that Christianity is a team sport. As a team, we're supposed to help each other out. Teams are not just individuals going onto a court, going onto a field, doing their own thing, calling it a day, and walking away. Team playing means that we work together when things are good, and we work together when things are difficult. We can be generous with each other in prayer. Sometimes we just need a little bit of encouragement from each other, and other times we are in desperate need of those prayers with each other. Either way, praying for each other will go a long way when we encounter the good times and when we encounter the difficulties of life. We help each other by being generous with grace. Everyone needs to be treated better than what they deserve. And if we don't treat each other that way, where else can we expect to find it? If we as the church don't treat each other better than what we deserve, even if we have differing ideas and differing opinions, if we don't treat each other with grace, where else should we expect to find that kind of grace? The church should be marked by generosity of grace we can also be generous with empathy sometimes people just need genuine connection with another human being that says I know where you're at it's difficult but there is someone who's got your back the God of the universe he loves you and he gives a church that's got your back as well Paul says that we also need to be generous with hospitality At its core, uh, hospitality means love of stranger, love of another. Sometimes hospitality might look like hosting people for a party, but that's just one specific idea about it. Hospitality is that love you have for yourself, that desiring good for yourself, that you show to someone else on the outside to bring them in. As a church, what would it look like if we showed hospitality to the people around us? In our neighborhoods, there are people who sit at home who need to hear the hope of the grace of God. There are people who need to hear the hospitality that you are on the outside, but there is a way for you to be on the inside, and it is through the grace of Christ. You don't have to get it right before you come here. You don't have to get it right... uh, You don't have to change your life, but you start where you're at because we have a love of other that invites people in. Coming up uh, next week at the end of the, we have a fall festival. Uh, We are going to invite people who maybe haven't been to church in a while, or maybe have never been to church before. This is an incredible opportunity to invite them and say, come sit with me, hear about the excellence of our God, because he cares about you. There is hope that enables us to endure. There is a lifestyle that enables you to live well. And I do want to remind us again that the Christian life is not about the do's and the don'ts, but about becoming the right kind of people. This is a quote uh, from Lewis. People often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you, and if you don't, I'll do the other thing. I don't think that is the best way of going about it, Lewis said. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, that choosing part of you, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking all your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central part of you either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, rage, and eternal loneliness. When we do, when we try to live the Christian life, when we say this is the person I wanna be, it's not about just doing the right thing. It's about the kind of person you're becoming. That kind of person enables us to live well with ourselves or it doesn't that kind of person we're becoming enables us to live well with the people around us or it doesn't and Lewis said that kind of person we're becoming enables us to enjoy the presence of God or to be at a state where we don't enjoy the presence of God And Lewis says the best kind of life that you can live. The best kind of experience you can have is when we experience life in the way that God has planned for us. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us a way to uh, live life in the kind of way that makes sense. I pray that your spirit would be at work in us to do his good work to produce the kind of character that is pleasing to you. I pray that when we uh, work towards being more like Christ, that we would not see it as another moral checklist or a thing to do uh, just because we have to, but that it would delight us in our inner being, that we would become more like the people you call us to be. And I pray that in all things, Christ would be glorified. It's your son's name that we pray, amen.